0: Welcome back to Crime Scene Queens, everybody. We are the show to listen to if you wanna hear from the real experts in the field. We are the experts that have a true understanding of the confidentiality and respect for deceased and their families, and we're not gonna exploit the victims. That being said, I am Shelly, your courtroom cat.
1: And I'm Laura, your friendly crime scene investigator and field mouse. And this week, we are continuing our series celebrating women in science. And I'm really excited today because we have Dr. Heidi Seavers on, who you might see on social media as the bloodstained doc. And I think previously, for a little while, she was Forensics Barbie, so update your search history if you're going to go it. see what she's up to. It's now the Bloodstained Doc on Instagram, but it's still Forensic Barbie on TikTok maybe? yeah. Yeah. Forensics Barbie. Okay. So Dr. Heidi Sievers holds a PhD in criminal justice and a master's degree in forensics. She is like your girl here, a certified crime scene investigator through the International Association of Investigation. But unlike your girl, she is also certified in bloodstain pattern analysis, which is awesome. And she's one of only 61 people that have that certification worldwide. So it's not a small achievement, you guys. On top of that, over 500 hours of forensics-related training. She is also a human remains detection canine handler. She holds a state of Florida private investigations license. Did I miss anything?
0: Your CV is so (laughs) impressive. I feel like you're like my
1: spokesperson. That was the
2: best (laughs) elevator pitch ever.
1: (laughs) you also have professed. She was a professor at several Mm -hmm. universities, right? Yep. We have to give you all of your due diligence. She is the owner of Seavers Forensics. And if you've been paying attention, honoring the nature of our show, I'm not going to call out in particular which case, but I know I have recently caught her on court TV. There was a major court decision or a verdict that just came out here in March, 2023. And I saw Dr. Sievers doing some appearances and it was really exciting to see her on there. So she is, that star is rising, girl.
2: Thank you. Yeah, the last year has been a little bit of a whirlwind for me, but it's been good.
1: Awesome. Shelly and I always, with all of the women that we've celebrated this month, we've asked everybody just to kick it off so that people can get to know you outside of my elevator pitch introduction. (laughs) But at some point, we all got bitten by the bug. So please share with us your origin story because you have a really cool wide net that you've cast in the field of forensics.
2: Yeah. So I would say my origin story is very similar to probably a lot of people's, but a little twisted. So I would say probably starting around age eight, Eight, Mm. seven or eight. My dad, growing up, he owned a produce market like fruit, vegetables, that whole thing. And I used to spend all my days after school, my summers, all my breaks hanging out, working at his store. But when I would get bored, I would always bug him. So he ended up buying me a TV for his office. So I would hang out in there. Back in the day, it's not like we got a thousand channels and we didn't have Netflix and Hulu like we do now, my spoiled kids. So Mm -hmm. one of the options I had was watching CSI on repeat. I'm not sure. I don't remember what channel it was on, but it would just repeat and repeat. Mm -hmm. And the Las Vegas ones, (laughs) primetime. Dr. Gail (laughs) Gisham. Yes. Yeah. I loved it. And I remember I watched an episode, you probably don't know if I can find it, called like Patches the Clown or something. And I was so like grasped by it. And, you know, years later, come to find out it was... Mostly baloney and fabricated, but (laughs) I just remember sitting there like, this is so cool, you know, and watching it as a seven-year-old kid. I'm like, they can take this and find out this now that Link doesn't exist. I was just so like captivated by it. Mm -hmm. And from being young, then my dad got into it and we started watching other shows together. And that was like our bonding thing that we would do. Middle school, we had a crime scene investigator come and do like a fingerprinting workshop with us. And I was hooked on that. And anytime we did a great American teach-in, I would always go to either like the law enforcement or forensics person that was coming. Because luckily, I had a girl in my class, her mom did it. So she oh, would always nice. come. Yeah, she would always wow. come every year, and I was probably that like really annoying kid. She was like, "Oh, I hope Heidi isn't there," you know. But I would hound her with all these questions. I would like pre-write them, and then in college, I did my first ride along, and I was like, "This is where I'm supposed to be." And I, I've always had like twisted, a little bit like black sheep sense of humor. So then when I did a ride along, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I fit in with these people!" Like they, my all, people, they're yes, dark like, like us. <laughs> yes, like you guys are broken like we, you know. So I just remember that ride along and I felt like I found my calling and then the rest is history from there.
1: I love that story. You know, when you say like, oh, we are all a little bit like off, I mean, kind of have to be. Yeah. To be like, oh, dead people. Yes, yeah. that's, that's my choice.
2: I want to pick up maggots. Yeah.
1: Of course, ultimately the mission behind it is to help, but in order to want to help humanity in that way versus all of the other different fields. Yeah, it's like you have to have the tinker gene mixed with. Like amazing resilience.
2: Yes. And morbid curiosity. If I didn't continuously have morbid curiosity, no way. I would have been out. A
1: hundred (laughs) percent.
2: Okay. So
1: you then went and got your degrees or did you get hired first? Because I know some people it's
2: Yes, So I got hired just after I graduated with my master's and then I ended up getting my PhD while I was working there.
1: That's nice. When I got hired to my first police department, I, too, had a master's, but they would not pay for a PhD. Oh,
2: they did not.
1: They stopped it at master's. I was yeah. super disappointed because I, too, wish to be Dr. My Last Name. But <laughs> the recovery of having to pay for my master's degree I, I, has been was it traumatized me. Yeah. yeah it makes <laughs> yeah.
2: my, because my agency wouldn't pay for it either. My, so my husband, and like he has no student loans and I'm very nice. jealous of that. But yeah, it's annoying. Yeah. But he, it like sickens him, my student loans, from getting, oh yeah, he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, I yeah. mean, looking back on it, like I was young. I don't know. It can be another mortgage. I don't regret <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I don't regret it. But I'm like, Oh,
1: well, actually, some of the best casework of my life was during my master's program. However, it would have been great to have a police department pay for that for me.
2: (laughs) Hands down. I'm like, I could have just like taken a little time out and just waited to get hired and then got the master's. Mm -hmm. But yeah, whatever.
1: When I was in my crime scene unit, I was the bones girl. And at some Mm -hmm. point the leadership said to us, we think it would be a really good idea if each of you picked something that you really like in crime scene and then focus on that. So you're clearly the blood girl. Yes. So I'm wondering how that happened for you.
2: So I would say I was still in training. Mm-hmm. I was still in FTO and my and I think I was in fourth phase. So I was in my ghost phase and my mm-hmm. fourth phase FTO called me and we at this point, we could 10-8 t- from home, so like I could literally right. clock in at my driveway. So she called me, and she's, hey, we have a homicide. And it was not my first homicide, but it definitely would have been my bloodiest one. So she's like, we have a homicide. Just go ahead and head there. And she told me the address. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's only like 10 minutes from my house, and this chick, lives <laughs> a- this chick lives an hour and a half away. I'm going to get there way earlier than her. I'm freaking out. I'm yeah. nervous. And I'm like, okay. So I get there, and... They already had the search warrant, which, of course, like the one time you're like, yeah, take your time. No, they already have it. So, no, nope. yeah, <laughs> classic. So that's I go sad. in How funny. <laughs> and I remember being like in shock almost. And to this day, that's probably close to the most blood I've ever seen on a crime scene. Sick. And I walked in and I'm like, holy shit, you know, like I was like, just so shocked. And I just remember being like, I want to be able to one day, and at that point, no way, but I was like, I want to be able to one day come in here and be able to reconstruct what happened to some degree of certainty. You got bitten by the bug. I did. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, it wasn't quite like the Dexter in the elevator scene, but it was close. So I yeah. just remember I was so taken back by it, but not in a bad way. I was, mm-hmm. it like challenged me to want to challenge myself. And then from then, four months into training, I was hooked. And then I just yeah. like every blood case that came, even on my days off, I was like, hey, I want to come. Hey, I want to go. Hey, I want to go. Let me go. And wow. I was just, you know, just to watch and take notes. And then from there, I just kind of ran with it.
1: Who did you do your training with? Can I ask you that?
2: Leroy Parker. He used to work with Evie Lee. I yeah. love him. Yep. I yeah. love him to death. Yeah. It's funny. I call him St. Kittsman1 because that's his email. And <laughs> <laughs> so that's his email address. And I remember the first day of class, I'm like, what? And he was like, yeah, I'm from St. Kitts. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm pretty sure the first day of class, he was not having me. Like, oh, I was young. I was there like with my work bestie and we were just like having a good time in Daytona. And I think he was like, this chick is so annoying, you know, because I was like, (laughs) I have a question. I have a question. I have a question. I have a question. And I've always been the annoying teacher's pet, like always, you know, because I've always loved school. So I was like, hey, like we're done. Do you have another bloodstain pattern we can map out? He was probably like, Here's another one. He you know, by the end of the class, like, we were having lunch with them, and he was like, call me anytime. So I love Leroy Parker, like special place in my heart for that guy. He definitely taught me yeah. the fundamental basics, taking quite a few with him. And then Holly Latham, I took some of the advanced okay. classes with. Nice. Love her. Nice.
1: So do you know who I annoyed like that? Who? <laughs> Toby Wilson. <laughs> Yes. so (laughs) I annoy the crap out of Toby. (laughs) So when I took a
2: class with Toby, I was like definitely a little intimidated because this was very early on too. So I wasn't quite like, so I was a little like fangirling, I think when I met Toby. With Toby. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. I felt that. But then when I was standing there next to him talking, his phone meowed.
2: Oh my god! When,
1: <laughs> when he gets a t- <laughs> so Stop. for our audience who doesn't maybe understand all of the people that Heidi is name dropping and that I just name drop, drag- these are like big names in ph- forensic bloodstains analysis. Sorry, I like I don't know why I always stutter over those words. Forensic bloodstain pattern analysis. <laughs> <Thank> Nailed <you>. <laughs> it. Because <laughs> Toby Wilson is a particularly notable one. He in fact, is in the first episode of Dexter because Jeff Lindsay solicited his counseling for the authoring of some of those books. However, as Toby tells the story, he emailed Jeff Lindsay back and said, stop bothering me. And then eventually they all showed up to film Dexter on set and they forced Toby to teach Michael C. Hall stain, (laughs) which is hilarious. So his phone, so back to the story, his phone meowed. And I looked at him and I said, did your phone just meow? And he says, yes, I like cats. <laughs> and <laughs> every veil of intimidation was lifted at that point. <laughs> yeah, confidence is key.
2: Like, he, you know, he didn't back down from it. Like, yeah, like, he, cats, what?
1: <laughs> and then I looked a little closer. And do you know those shirts that some people wear where it's, like, lightning or fire and then there's, like, an animal on the front? Yes. So he like was the wolf like, howling at the moon? Yeah. So yes. it was a tiger. So he's wearing a cat shirt and his phone is meowing. And I was like, is your name Toby or Tobias? Yeah. And he's like, it's Toby. I'm like, I'm going to call you Tobias. Yeah. (laughs) So I also, Dr. Seavers, have annoyed mentors Though I didn't choose to be as nuanced and bloodstained as you, I know exactly how you feel when you're, like, learning from all of these, like, legends.
2: Yes, I know. And now it's so funny because Leroy... I was even so intimidated by him when I first took his classes because I've mm-hmm. read all his books and stuff. And now like on holidays, you know, I'll get a yeah. Merry Christmas or a happy birthday. I'm like, what is this life? You know, oh, And that's isn't sweet. it nice? Yeah. And, you know, in college, it's so funny because and he's a mentor now, not in blood, same, but just in general. Somebody I really look up to is Dr. Arpad Vance. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved him in college, loved him. Mm-hmm. And I used to read all his articles and books and kind of follow him around. And now, like, I've gotten the chance to meet him and work on some cases with him. And I like reflect on it with my husband because, you know, he does same kind of stuff. And I'm like, how crazy is it that in college, like these were people I had on this pedestal, which I still have them on a pedestal, but now we're on like texting basis it's just so crazy like how life works sometimes you know
1: I totally agree I think that kind of stems sometimes from like the forensics conferences that's where Mm Shelly and I met as at an IAI Mm -hmm. show and I went to the American Academy were you at the American Academy meeting in February no I didn't go yeah so maybe I'll catch you at an IAI show later like we'll have to take like a selfie or something definitely okay so then how did you incorporate the canine into all of that? That was super interesting, too.
2: So actually, so when I was with the sheriff's office that I worked at, they decided that they were going to bring on HRD canines, so cadaver okay. canines. And all the patrol guys were like, no, it's not fun. They don't bite people. So they were over <laughs> it. They were like, yeah, we don't want to do that. It's stupid. And no one cares. We don't like dead stuff. No. Mm-hmm. So they were like, well, really, it would make more sense to put it with forensics because they yeah. go anyways, you had to do tryouts and all this stuff. I was like two months pregnant when I did the tryout and we had to do like a PAT carrying a 50 pound bag of dog food and no one knew I was pregnant yet. So I'm like hurling after I'm done. Everyone's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, it's fine. But I ended up getting the first spot. And then at that time, there were no other known civilian like forensic canine handlers, like as mm-hmm. far as like a law enforcement status anywhere in the United States, they didn't know what to do. It was yeah. just like this new thing. So every training I went to, they're like, who are you? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean you're not a cop? And what do you mean you're not a civilian group? Cause I don't know if where you guys are, you guys have like civilian groups yes. that will come and assist. Yeah. Yep. So they were like, what do you mean you're not civilian, but you're also not carrying a gun? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just this thing. So like no one knew like what to do with me. I was kind of solo there for a little bit, but yeah. So then we just started like traveling around, getting hooked up with the FBI. So we worked a lot of cases like that. And then now I still work with a canine group. I don't have a dog now personally, but I co-handle yeah. Someone else's dog, if that makes sense. So they it usually does, call yeah. me. Yeah. So they usually call me out for more forensic matters, like there's any type of dig that they're assisting on, or if they are doing something private or anything blood related, they'll bring me out. But then I also co handle someone's dog. So then that way I'm still kind of like in that realm. And then I yeah, don't want to lose it. Yeah, I don't want to lose it. And my cause I do love it. It's just it's a lot of work like on the private sector. It's a lot of work. And my husband dives with them, like it's on their forensic diving team. Cool. But that's how it started was when I was with the agency. That's awesome. And it's a lab, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. Human detection dogs are like a lot more family friendly when you get to bring them home too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What's funny though, is that's what I was thinking when I got the dog, I was like, oh my gosh, like I get to have the Cause we didn't have a dog yet, like a family yeah. dog. So I was like, oh, I can't wait. Like a lab. So friendly with the kids. He's going to sleep in my bed. And they were like, no. And they were like, he stays outside. And I'm like, outside. outside. I didn't know that. Um, Oh yeah. They were like, he stays outside. And I'm like, Why we live, in, we live in Florida. So the day I got the dog, they're like, okay, meet me at the meet me at the parking lot. We meet at this random parking lot. They give me the dog. They bring out these huge sheets of like a gate, pretty much, and they're loading them into my work truck. And I'm like, what do I do with these? They're like, Oh, yeah, you just bolt them together. They hand me a bucket, a five-gallon bucket of bolts <laughs> and like these like plast. They're what so How the are you supposed to do with that? Yeah, they're so rusted. And I'm like, I don't do stuff like this. I'm not like Miss Pris, but I don't know. I don't do that kind of stuff, you know? So I'm like, someone's not uh, coming to my house to put it together. They're like, no.
1: Yeah, like we already learned power tools, okay, for crime scenes. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's like scale exactly. it back a bit,
2: okay? Exactly. So I'm like, okay, so we had to put it up outside. And the only time he was ever allowed to come in my house was when he got bit by a water moccasin. So, obviously, he, like, had, to have, he had to have, like, surgery and had, like, cast on. That was the only time he was allowed Why indoors. do they let the
1: German shepherds inside? All the German shepherds I know go in— They're pets yeah. when they're off duty. Yeah. I, um, oh, yeah,
2: no. Was I allowed to bring him to a dog park? Even, like, walking around my neighborhood I really wasn't supposed to do. Like, it yeah, was— Yeah, I would have broken mm, that rule. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Like, why, though? Because they wanted— their theory was that when they're at work, that's, like, the best time of their life. They wanted, like, work to be, like, their most, like, fulfilling part of their life. So yeah. I guess it was just, like, to keep regimen, which, I mean, I understood, but also, like, it gets hot. It's yeah. hot outside. But, yeah, that was hard. That was a learning curve. Like, I did not expect that at all. Wow.
1: <sighs> okay. I want to Tarantino went back to when you were saying that you... First, gotten bitten by the bug of blood stain pattern analysis at this first scene. And <laughs> uh-huh. you mentioned, oh, like eventually I went to these trainings and then I wanted to map everything. So let's just assume our audience knows nothing about blood stain it pattern is. analysis. Can you? Because I was even explaining on a previous episode that sometimes the language has evolved. We don't typically use terms like low, medium, high velocity anymore. So -hmm. can you like give us like an overview of like how stains are classified and what mapping, what that means when you say mapping?
2: I mean, it all depends on like what I'm called there for too. So sometimes it is like crime scene, like, Hey, can you map, you know, these stains? And there's a couple different ways. There's Road mapping, which Toby is like the godfather of, he invented, which is, I'm a road mapping fan myself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's also grid method, which I know some analysts are more, they have a preference to. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big grid fan for my own reasons, but you know, you can grid it out. I have my own little adaptation, kind of a both, kind of a road mapping and grid, but really just preference. But a big part of it is just documenting the stains. First, we have to document it. And then we have to, like you said, go through and classify the stains. So we do that kind of like in a combination of appearance-based and mechanism-based. So appearance-based as far as what they actually look like and then mechanism-based of how they were created. Okay. And a big part of this field, like you said, is staying up to date with that terminology. You know, and I still go to trainings or attend conferences and low, medium, and high velocity is used. And I think uh-huh. pretty much everybody, even people not in forensics, have probably... Heard those terms unless they're living under a rock and have never yeah. watched a true crime show. But most people have heard those terms. I always say yeah. bloodstain trigger words. You know, like a lot of times when experts are brought up in cases, they'll throw out trigger words and the jury's like, oh, I've heard that one before, you know? So those are yeah. like the new trigger words is like high velocity spatter. That's the newest trigger words. But the issue with that is, and I talk about this in a lot of the trainings I do, is the reason why those kind of got pushed out and some a lot of people agree this, but this is my biggest opinion on it, is because technically the definition of high velocity was stands that are a millimeter or less in diameter and right. were created by something at a hundred feet per second or faster, as far as four. So obviously that's going to be a firearm heading to shear it.
1: So or rapid when, deceleration trauma, right? I had yeah, some high velocity yeah. on like a train.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the issue was people were starting to classify it as high velocity solely on the appearance based Mm. characteristics. So it's less than a millimeter in diameter. It has to be high velocity and they weren't doing it based off of mechanism. So I think that's really where that got like pushed out because I could easily recreate stains that are less than a millimeter in diameter that were made much slower than hundred feet per second on a lot of different variables, surface tension, amount of blood I use, things like that. So that's really, where those got pushed out, but because that's the new trigger word is as soon as someone says, like, oh, well, that's high velocity impact spatter based on because it's less than a millimeter in diameter, people automatically assume you know that it's something absolutely terrible. A big thing that I teach is the difference between spatter and transfer, and how spatter can look like transfer and transfer can look like spatter, especially when yeah. you're dealing with clothing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the mistake people make is they measure these tiny little stains on clothing. They're less than a millimeter, which I won't get into the tangent of why clothing poses its own challenges, but (laughs) less than a millimeter in diameter and there's a hundred of them. It has to be high velocity impacts better. I'm like, okay, but we can't just look at the like quantitative aspects of it. We have to look at the qualitative aspects of it. Is it penetrating weave? Are there painted fibers? Is there microsatellite? So that's really what it gets into the nitty gritty of it is it's not just the this is cast off, this is impact, this is a swipe, not a wipe, right? So it goes so much farther beyond that. What I truly believe is like the real niche when it comes to blood stain pattern analysis is understanding the variables that affect blood. Because I think really that's what it comes down to is the number of variables that can affect a single stain. Because you could have 10 impact spatters and they all look completely different for a number of variables. So
1: yeah. I told a story. that I have a couple of blood spatter scenes in my early year, I guess my year, because I didn't really get a chance to have early years just because of the way that I was integrated into crime scene work. But there are two that stand out where I was just like, what's happening? And one of them I've told on this show, it's just to keep it short, somebody had been clearing their needles. Mm-hmm. So there was all the oh, linear yeah. stains towards the ceiling mm-hmm. and I had no idea. I was so freaked out. I thought it was the weirdest cast
2: off yeah, I had ever yeah. seen. And when you and have a lot of it, it looks just like impact or expirated because a lot of times you get those little air bubbles in the syringe. Yes,
1: up high.
2: Yeah. So you're like, what's happening here?
1: And the people who lived in that house were not... That high.
2: And that's a great example of how confusing it can be because looking at it, it Mm -hmm. appearance based it looks like impact or maybe expirated depending.
1: I thought it was cast off because it was like it was literally like in all these different directions. So it looked like they had been flung.
2: Okay, yeah. So even like based on the distribution of it, it could look like cast Mm -hmm. off. But when you think about the mechanism of how it was created by pushing the syringe, that's technically by definition projected. So that's why when we talk about variables, there's so many different variables that have to be considered to like accurately describe the stains. But it's funny because I was at a rest stop traveling for a case quite a few states away and my husband was like, oh my gosh, you have to see this. And we go in the little family bathroom and those exact stains were all very, very low, like next to this. And I was like, you know what that is, right? And it was right next to the toilet. And I don't know why, but that's always where they do it. And I'm like, you know what that is, right? And he was like, no. And he was like, did someone like sneeze? And I'm like, no, someone's clearing out the syringe. He was like, oh my gosh. And he was like, so freaked out. He was like, we got to go. We got to (laughs) go.
1: Yeah. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it again. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I
2: honestly think that's one of the most identifiable stains because like once yeah. you see it, you know exactly what it is. Every time
0: for our listeners, just kind of take a back, you know, back up just a smidge. Yeah. So we're using a lot of terms that I don't know if a lot of our listeners know. So, you know, you're talking about swipes and wipes and expiry mm-hmm. and cast off. I know we could go over layman's terms of, you know, some of these, but I don't know if you want to go into a little bit more detail on any yeah. of the terms or anything like that for our listeners. Yeah,
2: sure. So, you know, in today's time, there's a lot of, I don't want to say argument, but debate on how to best classify stains. It used to be spatter and non-spatter. And Mm -hmm. now there's like a push of spatter, passive, and altered. So anytime we talk about spatter, we're typically talking about force that's attributed to it. When we talk about passive, that's when only gravity is acting upon it or no force whatsoever, like a transfer. Okay. And then we have things like altered. So any type of physiological change that's happening to blood, whether that be from humans or environmental. And there's a lot of different sub patterns that are in all of those classifications. So some of the ones we named, cast off, again, a trigger word. Most people have heard of that. But that is going to be a function of whip-like motion and centrifugal force. So we have a weapon. I just got done beating someone in the head with a bat. Blood has accumulated on the head and blood is adhering to the weapon. So blood is very cohesive with itself. It wants to stick together, but it also will adhere to other objects. It will stay on that object until there's enough force that can overcome the surface tension or the stickiness of the blood to the object. So as you're whipping that around, it's eventually going to fly off that object and it will distribute in a linear fashion or on like a line on a surface. Those stains are typically going to be circular to elongated depending on the amount of blood and the force and the size of the weapons. Yeah. So a a knife. (laughs) Yes. And like something like a knife has a very tiny point at the end, right? There's not a lot of like surface area at the tip of that. Mm -hmm. So that is going to have very small spatters typically, whereas something like a two by four, right? So if I'm, or like a plank of wood, the surface area of the end of that is much larger. So there's more blood that can accumulate on it and larger stains and more can fly off that onto a surface. So Mm -hmm. that's what cast off would be. And typically you hear people say like, we know how many blows there were because there's three cast off patterns. Typically, however many there are, you add at least one because you have to create a source of blood. We talked about impact. That is any source of blood that is subjected to force of an impact. My head's all bloody. Someone hits me on the head again with an object and blood is going to radiate outward. Swipe and wipe is typically one that a lot of people confuse. Swipe is a bloody object coming in contact with a surface with motion. So if there's no motion, that's just a transfer. If there's motion, that's a swipe. And then on the contrary to that, there's a wipe. And a wipe is the disruption of a pre-existing partially wet blood stain. Typically, you're going to have what used to be called like a skeletonized stain. Mm-hmm. I think they're kind of moving away from skeletonized stain. I know, you know. they are. And I love the term skeletonized. I do too. And I will use it until someone yells at me, but I love that term.
0: <laughs> I will petition. Told me.
2: <laughs> yeah. I will petition at conferences like with a sign, like bring back skeletonized. But yeah. So typically you have that skeletonized ram with the display center. And the way I actually teach like my students to remember it is like people with kids totally resonate with it, but like you're changing a diaper and you have to wipe them, mm-hmm. and there's like already things there. That's typically how I like, people yeah. remember it. But those are those two. I think I said projected. So projected is going to be typically a larger volume of blood. It's usually associated with a breached artery. They're moving away from arterial spurt now, too, because. Projected can be things other than an artery. But I love um, arterial
0: spur Like that. That's arterial know. spur is a it unique. Sounds-
1: it can yes. only come from one place. Exactly. Pumped by the heart. Yes. Like arterial yeah.
2: spur is just so like trademarked to me. And Leroy Parker, love that man. And that's all he said all training. Like I know that is his favorite stain. It has to be because he said it about 5,000 times. And again, like I love it. Like arterial spur, arterial dash. They're like, no. Who's they? I know. I want to know who Who's they is. They. And how do I become part of they so I can yeah. like advocate, <laughs> yeah. bring these back. So whoever they are, if you're listening, let's find make out me who they, they. Are. <laughs> Yes, make me
1: part of they. Do you know why I'm a dick though? Do you want to know why I'm a dick? <laughs> do you want to know what yeah. my favorite blood stain is?
2: What void?
0: Yeah. Void. Yeah.
2: Because you learn so much you from do. void. Yeah. You do, and it's funny that you say that because like a void is like not a true pattern. Um, it is too it is though (laughs) so what's funny is you know what one of my favorite patterns is is Mm. satellite spatter which is also an oxymoron because it's not real spatter it's secondary spatter I call it imposter spatter because sometimes people confuse it for impact but like that's one of my favorites and how do you
1: describe that for our audience because I'm trying to think of how to describe it's like you say it
2: so it's associatively with a drip pattern so let's say I'm bleeding, right? And I'm immobile. I'm just standing in one spot and blood is just dripping down passively, no force, just dripping down and it's creating a little pool, right? It's creating a parent stain, a drip pattern of all these little blood droplets going into each other. So as the blood continues to drip into that pool of blood that I'm creating, smaller blood droplets are being pushed out of it because the surface tension of that blood is now being broken, right? Because we have one drop coming down, hitting it, and now small little droplets are kind of radiating out of it like a fountain at the mall. Mm-hmm. So yeah. little tiny droplets are coming out and then they will deposit all around, literally looks like a satellite, but it all around the parent stain or up on a vertical surface. But when it's on a vertical yes. surface, sometimes people confuse it for impact because the stain sizes overlap. It's me. Yeah, this- It yeah. was me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. I'm the problem. Uh, yeah. So, and it, they have like similar sheets. So circular or elongated. The best way is at the edges of that, it does fountain off. I call it the fountain effect. It just kind of like falls off. Yeah. And there's simply like a concave in the middle. So it does look like the fountain at a mole. And typically the height of it is so short compared to impact.
1: Yeah. So yeah. typically it's like a couple I love how like excited you are talking about yes. this. I know. This is how excited Shelly and I get. So-
0: Yeah.
2: You know Hold on. I there was one you- other-
0: Hold on, there was one other word, which she talked about the expiration pattern, and that was, yeah, blood by airflow.
2: Perfect. Yeah. So expiration is another great one because, again, confused her impact all the time. Mm-hmm. There's actually, not going to name it, but there's a very famous case that debate is still going on about. That case has since closed. But that is a big debate as far as like impact or expirated. But yeah, it's typically from blood in the nose or mouth being pushed out, a breach in an airway. It can also be created from like a gunshot wound and then someone's giving CPR. It can um, shoot out that way. But yeah, yeah, very, very small droplets. It can overlap. High velocity spatter. But typically there's going to be like mucus strands. It's diluted. It can have air bubbles in it. But that's typically one we see too. But we always want to make sure there's blood somewhere or an injury somewhere that would make
0: sense to that. Yes.
1: So yeah. you know how I told you there were two blood scenes that were confusing yes. to me? Okay, so your favorite pattern, what, what is it called, the satellite? Yeah, the satellite's pattern. Yeah, thank you. When I was a new CSI two months in, I had a very unfortunate suicide involving a minor. Uh-huh. Not to like get all gooey, because you know like we don't typically do this, but it was like a little bit harder because of, and this is relevant, because of the nature of the scene itself. Mm-hmm. It was a bunk bed. There was like a SpongeBob SquarePants pillow. It was like awful, mm-hmm. but it was awful. I didn't know a lot about blood other than the basics that you just shared with our audience. Because mm-hmm. sure, we did some area of convergence research in my master's program. Sure, we did some mapping, but that doesn't really prepare you no. fish- to actually go out and do that other than to mm-hmm. document like, and be able to make an estimation. So. Like you said, blood had been dripping from the top bunk onto the bottom bunk, and it was the bunk Mm -hmm. bed was in a corner. So the wall had that secondary pattern that you Mm -hmm. discussed with them on the wall. I start to freak out when I see that.
2: Yeah. Because
1: to me, that's not consistent with the scene. If this Mm -hmm. young person took their life, with a mm-hmm. firearm on the top bunk bed, why uh-huh. is there blood spatter between the top and bottom bunk in that way? It totally freaked me out. The man that was with me before he ultimately left the unit had trained with, I think, Tom Bevel, And so uh-huh. he was able to recognize the stain, but my brain couldn't wrap around what you were just able to so simply describe to our audience because there was some shady stuff going on in that house. So I had like already kind of spidey sense going. I thought somebody hurt him and then like staged his body. I ended up being wrong because I didn't know about the stain that you just
2: described. And you actually just described something that makes it as hard as possible is when it's on an absorbent surface. Yeah, It's not like it's a tile floor, right? And you see this huge drip pattern. Mm -hmm. And from that, like height ultimately... When it comes to a drip pattern, height, everyone thinks height dictates the amount of satellite, but height actually just dictates the spread of the parent stain. So when it's falling at that height from bunk bed to bunk bed, you're going to have a very large drip pattern, especially with the volume of all dripping. Yeah. But when it's on something absorbent, it doesn't just like stick right out to you, right? So if you were looking at a tile floor, you would see this huge drip pattern, a parent stain. Mm -hmm. You would see the satellite spatter around it on the horizontal surface. And then you would be like, oh. That's exactly the same thing that's on the wall. It all makes sense now. But that happens when we're dealing with like absorption services.
0: The main case that I had that got me into forensics, you literally just like nailed it. It's about EMS that moves something. And, you know, I'm looking at the crime scene photos and just like, how did this happen? You know, because it was a legal case. I'm like, how did this happen? Why am I seeing impact spatter on the wall? And at that time, you know, obviously I'm like probably put an L in the word spatter because I, you know, was naive and had no clue. I'm like, and what is this like missing area, the void, right? So I'm looking, I'm going, how did this happen? How does this make sense? And that that intrigued me so much. That's exactly when I said, you know what? This is so interesting. I've always watched forensic TV shows and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but I've never really been educated in it. And so after that case it wasn't even actually after the case. It was during that case. I said, you know what? I got to get into this. And I did an interview and then talked to one of the CSIs and she said, oh, it was super simple. This is what you do. And I went done enrolled. Yeah. It was like literally two weeks later I enrolled.
2: Yeah. Like you said, that bug, like it just something about it, like hits you and then you're, you're done. You're done. Like done though. after, yeah, like everyone knew and everyone still knows. And that's like a big reason I went independent is because like, burglaries are for the birds. There's people oh, that love them. God. There's people that love property crimes. And those are good people because those are important <laughs> too. But it's not me. It's not me. If I never had to touch black powder again, it would be a good day. Like, I I just can't do it. So when I, like, got the dog, I was the dog girl and the blood girl, right? So that's all I would like to do. If I got called for a 5 a.m. burglary, I literally would have rather drank gasoline I just, (laughs) I was not a good sport about it, to be honest. So the big reason I got, that's a big reason I went independent because I'm like, I want to only work my blood cases. That's all I want to do. And I know that I can't be a spoiled princess working like at the agency and saying, I'm not going on that. I had to be like a team player, which is important. Luckily, I had the opportunity to be able to go out on my own. But yeah, no, burglaries are not. mm -mm.
1: This is why everybody that was in my first crime scene unit with me is going to laugh their ass off when you tell that story on the show. It is. I had the biggest attitude problem for burglary and property crimes, partially because the reason why we were even doing them was bullshit. Frankly, what happened was we only responded at first to high value, if there was, like, blood on a scene, yeah. then we would go. But we didn't do burglary because cops can fingerprint themselves, okay? Yeah. Well, they weren't doing a good job of that. Mm-hmm. And instead of punishing them for not doing their literal job, they yeah. decided that the crime scene unit would respond to every single vehicular and residential burglary. And that, like, quadrupled our caseload. In. I did not get a raise. I spent six and a half years in college studying the investigation of death. I literally, a reason why I quit that job is because I did not sign up to do a bazillion burglaries. And like oh, no. you said, I love that there are people that are fulfilled by that because if my house gets broken into. I certainly want somebody that has a better attitude than I did checking oh, yeah. it out. Not that I did a bad job, by the way.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I did a great job. Still did what I needed to do. Still but was did pissed what I needed. About it. Yeah. But I was yeah. pissed about it. So I left for a city. All right. So at my first city, we had max four homicides a year. My it second is- city, we had two homicides a week, and there was no time for burglary. Yeah. The reason why that's even more funny is because how I started fangirling you is somehow you showed up on my social media feed. And I'm not even embarrassed to tell you. I was like, oh, she looks like me. (laughs) No, it's so funny that you say that because you know how many
2: people before we met have told me that we resemble each other? I think it's just the blonde hair. Like anyone with blonde hair automatically looks like other people. You have
1: tats. But we do have similar mannerisms because I've yes. been paying attention. I even like almost, do you know how many times we've both?
0: Oh, like this? You, I know. you guys are constantly, yeah, yeah I'm in the yes. middle and the two of you are just like, you have the same, I'm like, I'm just going to sit here because I don't do like so a sandwich. So you can be the cream to the Oreo though, Shelly, don't worry.
1: It's Thank not like you. I started following you like for, I was just like, oh, she's in forensics and she looks like me. That's cool. And then you have the really cool illustration of you and your uh, BDUs. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And like you're holding a skull in it yes. <laughs> so I like love probably...
0: that so I,
1: I said I'll probably like her <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is so funny I know and then I started listening to you guys and I was like oh my gosh they have the same sense of humor yeah as me dark. because yeah and I always feel like my sense of humor my husband thankfully has the exact same sense of humor too yeah. but sometimes I'll say things and people are like okay. I'm like, that was really time. funny. What's wrong with you? You know? And I'm like, yeah. I'm hilarious, but whatever you guys don't get it. But yeah, <laughs> I was like listening to you guys. I'm like, Oh, they're my type of people.
1: Girl, back to something that Shelly said, because I feel like if we have a blood spatter in person here, we need the world to know why it is such a big deal. The difference between spatter and splatter. Oh. Why does it matter, <laughs> Heidi? Why does okay, it matter? So Tell everyone. Technically,
2: technically, by definition, spatter is the scattering of small particles, mm-hmm. and splatter is the scattering of large particles. Uh huh. And the they entity, they. the they <laughs> entity, have determined that the very elusive and really subjective term "small" relates to blood. By definition, technically, it's because spatter relates to small particles, which really when you're thinking about it, we're measuring in like millimeters and typically it's pretty small. And splatter is large particles.
1: Somebody told me once that like blood spatters and paint splatters. That's a pretty
2: good interpretation. Well, and that makes sense because like paint is thicker. So technically it probably would be larger. Yeah, the viscous. More viscosity. (laughs) The viscous. Yeah, but and I don't know why, but it like infuriates me like I cannot everyone,
1: everyone. I just can't like it's I don't irritating. know why
2: it's a irra- it's so irrational too and it's and people that don't even know random people like when they find out what I do they're like oh blood splatter so cool how and many I'm
0: seconds like, do you get yeah, like how many a, tw- a twitch
2: oh I do so so I <laughs> yeah. naturally have a tick and my husband says it goes into like hyperdrive when people say it I'm like my eye like sponge off like it starts like quivering and I'm like okay like technically it's spatter.
0: Yeah. And I immediately like, just get like a resting bitch face. I'm like, mm. oh, I know. I'm disassociating myself. I'm turned off. I'm just like, I can't even with you anymore. Obviously, if they don't know. And then they're like, oh, oh, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. But like the people that should know, like detectives, people that know me know, they're like, oh, you just pissed her off. Just yeah. like walk away. We just walk away. I you don't know? know
1: why it's so annoying either, but you're even nicer about it than I am because at least you give them the explanation. Well, actually, technically it's spatter. I'll be like spatter. It's yeah. spatter, Mike. It's bad.
2: So so, so, my funny story. I had a very, very bloody scene that I was working for like three days straight. And then probably four more days on top of that with evidence back at the office, but it's day three. I'm exhausted, like 16, 17 hour days and so much blood to document. And this detective comes in and he's like prancing around the scene and I'm, like, over. And, like, I felt bad because he was, like, new to the, like, major crimes unit. And he's, like, look at all this splatter. And I was just, like, Heidi, just don't say anything. Just keep moving. And he said it so many times. I was, like, listen, if you're not going to say spatter, you have to leave. You have to stand (laughs) outside the door because I haven't slept. I've eaten three saltine crackers and I'm living off Red Bulls. If you're not going to say spatter, get out. Just stand outside the door so I don't want to see you. And he was, like... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then he just left. He didn't even make the attempt to say it. He was like, all right. And then I'm like, you really just can't use the right word, but whatever.
1: I'll tell you about a time I embarrassed myself with blood on a scene. And it's because I was exhausted. It was one of these ones where there was an initial incident and then several retaliatory incidents. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, I was new. I feel like the need to preface this because anybody with a certain amount of tenure in our field would be like, you're stupid. (laughs) You're green. I am on scene three, okay? So your brain is probably already going into what blood does over time. Uh Mm -hmm. Sitting there. Mm Coagulating. My brain didn't, yes, Shelly, my brain did not. And by the time I got there, I was a lot of hours in. Yeah, and I looked down, and this person had taken a gunshot wound to the head, and the blood separated, and I thought he peed. Oh, because it's yellow. Don't
2: because it's yellow. Yeah. So don't be embarrassed by that. I did the same thing. I Very, thought. He peed. Really, yeah, and I'm like, what? I literally said, "Why is there pee up by his head?"
0: Yeah. What? that's huh? what I and said I, too. Yeah, and I don't even, and I don't even like
2: care to say that because I feel like you know, like I've redeemed myself over time, but. My FTO was like, yeah, no, that's, that's um, not pee sort of separation. I'm like, oh, good, look it out. Okay, yeah, <laughs>
1: okay. So I'll let you tell our audience why I thought somebody that had been shot in the head peed.
2: Yeah. So as like blood starts to coagulate, it will start to separate, and so like we use the term like plasma. So when Blood is inside you. It's known as plasma. But once it exits the body and starts to separate like that, it's known as serum. And it is a yellow color. So you'll see like a pooling of blood. Typically, you'll see clots within the blood. I call it blood jello. They have not (laughs) accepted that term yet. I guess I have to write more letters, but they blood jello. Yeah, they. I like blood jello. I'm saying like... The snack food store should really pick me up. But so blood yeah. jello and then around peripheral rim of the pool, you will start to see this like yellow fluid that does look just like pee if you haven't had a water in a couple hours. Yeah. That's what it looks like. like so
1: asparagus pee.
2: Yes. Asparagus <laughs> pee for sure. Doesn't smell like that, but it definitely looks like it. So That's it'll a start to, Yes, it'll say... I heard that. And I definitely it have it's the true. gene. I have yeah. the gene. <laughs> so it starts to separate and then it will go all around the blood pool, yeah. if you will. So it does look very much like it, but it's just in a weird spot that Pete probably wouldn't be. But in your defense, a lot of people pee themselves when they die. So I feel like... Yeah. Defecating urination like, is pretty common. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, But
1: why it was even stupider
2: was this man
1: must have been sitting either on the arm of the couch... Or on the very edge. So when he ultimately got shot in the head, he fell in a way to where his feet were on the couch cushion. His rumpus was on the arm and his head and shoulders were on the ground. So I'm like, how did he pee his head? I was so tired. I was so tired. So I thought he peed and it ran down his shirt out the neck hole of his shirt. That's awesome. It was so dumb, though. Like, as you know, and Shelly knows, being a young blonde woman on a scene oh. full of burly dudes, oh, when yeah. you say something that stupid, you're just like, God damn it, my feminism. Yes, I know.
2: <laughs> I know.
0: She say, and I'm Polish, too. Deal with it.
2: I know. I've had a lot of those moments where I'm like, oh, my gosh. If they didn't take me serious. No, they definitely don't. Yeah.
1: A hundred percent, like... And I still remember, like, how the one officer, like, looked at me and smiled and was nice enough not to be, like,
0: dumbass. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah like, <laughs> that's not P. yeah.
1: That's not P. But, okay, so I feel like because there is... As you've described to us, so much going on with blood scenes. Mm-hmm. Is there a scene that you can pull from your memory where something threw you, or on the other end of that stick, maybe there was like one pattern that changed the whole scene or gave you information that you needed to come to a conclusion that, like, maybe wouldn't have been able to have been reached, like, or something cool that you can pull to share with us?
2: Yeah. Um. So I had one. Pretty extensive bloody scene. Mo- there multiple days, and there was this pattern transfer on the floor everywhere. Literally could not figure out what it was, couldn't figure out what it was, couldn't figure out what it was, going on and on with it. And it ended up being a pattern transfer to part of the murder weapon that was used to kill mm. her. We ended up finding that item completely cleaned in a closet, sprayed it down with Blue Star. Shout out, Blue Star. Yeah, shout mm-hmm. out, Blue, star. We, I love love Blue, Blue star. star. we love you, Blue Star. We love you, Blue Star. Yeah, I wish I could like naturally glow like Blue Star. Yeah, so Sabrina <laughs> with Blue Star, very <laughs> light, very light chemiluminescent reaction. But then looking at it under a loop, I could see like little tiny specks. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this looks just like that pattern on the floor. And then closer examination of a wall that was right next to her head. You actually saw a little bit of paint transfer from it, like onto the wall. So then it all kind of made sense and it all pieced together. But without that, we probably wouldn't have necessarily... looked Because she had stab wounds and blunt force trauma. Really yeah, wanted it, her dead, huh? Oh, it was a doozy for sure. So yeah, like that was a pretty cool one. I had one in like my consulting time that I was called in for. So it was a person that had found this other person deceased. They interviewed them, noticed some bloodstains on the clothing, collected the clothing and were convinced like this was their guy just again remember based on quantity and not the quality of the scenes they were totally convinced this is them but they were struggling because they were like but we're not we're not understanding like the alibi there's really no wiggle room so Mm -hmm. we need to really know whether or not this is from the actual adventure and I was like this is a lot of stains and typically like as a rule suspects are not as blood-stained as people think so I was like but I'll take a look so I look and they were spatter stains, but there were all these very weird voids in the clothing, and I couldn't really figure out why. Because I'm Shout like, that's a void. Yeah, void. So saving the day. So I was like, if someone's standing and administering these blows to somebody, because from the spatter on the scene, we know that the victim was standing upright when he received most of the blows. And I was like, and there wouldn't be this type of spatter directing back towards him if he's, you know, administering blunt force trauma to this person. That where it was on the wall, we know that they were standing. And I'm like, something's just not sitting right with me with the clothes, and why would there be these weird voids on the clothing, right? And Mm -hmm. they, like, abruptly stopped. So, like, at the knee, it, like, just abruptly stopped on one leg. Not on both, but on one leg, it just abruptly stopped, and there was a little bit of saturation stain on the one knee. So, I'm like, what did he say? What? Yeah. So, when they initially interviewed him, he couldn't really, like, remember. He was, like, in shock, right? So... Then they interviewed him again and they were like, he said that he came home, saw the person, went down to like administer some aid. And then uh-huh. he thought he like still felt a pulse, I guess. And then started trying to like wake him up because I guess the guy was like in and out of consciousness. Yeah. So he was trying to keep him awake. And he had blood on his hands because he had touched him. And when he was clapping his hands, the blood came back towards him so technically it was spattered like it did go back p- right or yeah almost yeah. exactly yeah. so it did penetrate the weave on the shirt and the pants but he was positioned with right knee on the ground so that's how the knee got oh, the saturation yeah. state and his other leg was bent so that's why he only had it like on the top of his thighs and that's why yeah. he had that weird mark and then on his shirt but there were voids like on the lower part of his belly so the top of the pants, and the lower part of a shirt, because they were all rumpled together. When I stretched it out, you could see these weird, like, linear... That makes sense, white. yeah. Because he, yeah, so yeah, he was
0: yeah, knelt e- over ex- bent down. Ex-
2: exactly, yeah. And, you know, when he's bending over, and even his shirt was crumpled. And they ended up finding the person that it was. But I was like, I don't think this is your guy, you know, and here's why. But really, when you look at it, just looking at it on the surface, like, it technically was spatter. Physical appearance and the mechanism of spatter, why wouldn't it be spatter? But... Given the story, given the fact that they were already doubtful of the alibi, and then given the voids in the shirt, see, your voids saved the day, yep. yeah. it really, really told us a lot about what had happened. So, and I actually yep. use that as a case study in all my trainings. Like, I give that scenario in one of my workshops. And I'm like, here's clothing. I've obviously recreated it. I'm like, here's clothing. Yeah. Tell me whether or not this guy's guilty or not. And everybody's like, he did it. He did it. It's interesting. The voids do tell you a lot. You have to listen to yep. voids when, when you see them.
1: It's funny because your story reminds me of one that I heard from the late, great Jan Johnson. So I feel like this is a good opportunity because I haven't had the chance to do it in a previous recording. Heidi, I don't know if you knew Jan Johnson. Uh, I do. I did. Okay. So we last month, everybody who listens to the show lost a very important person in my forensics career as far as training, Jan Johnson. So rest in peace, Jan. We appreciate you. She was out of Pensacola, Florida. She spent time working for the FBI for Latents and then at (laughs) Florida Department of Law Enforcement and since owned a business called Forensic Pieces. And some of my very first training classes were with Jan She was known for her fiery red hair Mm -hmm. and just being a little bit ridiculous (laughs) in all the right ways. And one of my first classes that I took was just a forensic examination of violent crime scenes. And it's a longer story. So just to keep it, like, succinct to the purpose of why the blood voids were so relevant, essentially a man had come back and killed his family. And the reason why they were able to articulate it as a death sentence case is because of the way that the void patterns existed, they were able to show that the children knew they were gonna die. And the reason why that happened is mom was in the bedroom with the kids. So if you imagine like the bed coming out of one wall, she's on it, Mm -hmm. one of the kids, two of them are on the bed with her and one of them is standing next to the bed in between the bed and the wall. So he comes in, gives it to mom. Mom dies first, she falls into the back of the bed And the picture hanging above the headboard falls down. He then takes out the kid sitting on the bed. And then the kid's blood ends up in... Because mom created a void on the picture. Mm. But then the kid's blood is in the void of the picture. And then he turns to the kid that's between the bed and the wall the kid that had gotten taken out on the bed created a pattern on that same wall that Mm -hmm. the little brother was on so then when he took out the little brother so like all all of of each other they all created a void of each other and their spatter literally inside the void of the one
2: preceding them yeah and
1: articulated the pattern of their death As sad as that story is, forensically, it's the coolest blood scene I have still to this day ever heard of. And that
2: really speaks volumes to how important attention to detail is in all of forensics, right? As like a general theme, but in blood scene as well, because something I teach a lot of is blood scene sequencing, because it does matter. Like in that case of could this be a death penalty case or could it not? Sequencing is important. Or, you know, in the case of is spatter on top of transfer or is transfer on top of spatter? Another mm-hmm. case I've worked is I had a bloody handprint on the wall, spatter on the wall. Okay, but which came first? Yeah. Because if the bloody handprint's there, then the spatter. That bloody handprint blind wife needs she was there wh- before the spatter was, right? And typically when you look at it, it always mm-hmm. looks like the spatter sitting on top. Almost always. Yeah. But when you really look at it, like under magnification, sometimes you can see like ridge detail on top of spatter, just little things that can help you figure it out. But that's really important because I've had a case where a wife said like, no, I came home, I touched my husband, my hand was bloody and I leaned up against the wall because I thought I was going to pass out. But when they looked at it, it did look like the spatter was sitting on top of that transfer. So they were like, no, she did it. Yeah. But when I examined it through photographs and I actually got to go and look at it, I was like, no this is sitting on top of the spatter. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm, we never say hundred percent, but I was like, you know, I'm 99.9% yeah. sure. And I explained why, like the centers of the individual spatter, some of them were displaced because they were still wet. So she took those with her when she touched cool. it and took her hand away. That's awesome. There, yeah. was, there was ridge detail on top of the spatters. Cool, Heidi. Yeah, I know. And that's another scene that I've recreated for my training aids because I'm like, it's those little tiny things. And sometimes they create a halo because spatter can be three-dimensional depending Mm -hmm. on the volume. So your hands can't get all the way around it. So it leaves like this little halo of void, again, void, around the spatter. Mm -hmm. Just something as simple as that, you might save somebody from spending the rest of their life in prison. And it's just those little things. And I think that's what's so cool about forensics and bloodstain and...
0: That's so Uh, awesome.
1: It is awesome. I like now that like we're talking like it's all these blood cases that I didn't even realize are like coming back. Like even like the super annoying ones. If you get stabbed to the heart, do your local CSI a favor and don't run up and down the street.
0: I am. (laughs) Because that... Expanding the crime scene. Yes. Well, I mean,
1: the one that I'm thinking of was particularly obnoxious because this person... Ran mm-hmm. up and down the street. Okay, I get it. You're upset. You got stabbed in the heart. Yeah. It sucks. Like, spattering <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Kinda.
0: Yeah. And it, the, Sometimes you can't recover.
1: The way that the road was, because it was not like a new road, it was rough. Okay. So it all absorbed down. And then the color of the road was black. So taking the picture of the spatter patterns on top Awful. of a shiny black road. Yeah. It was not just offable. It was impossible. I literally said to my supervisor, here are my thousands of pictures and you can see none of the blood. I'm, yeah. I don't know what to do. I'm going to take a video to prove that it was there because it did, did, looks did. like I've just plopped cones. So if you know the right. secret
0: yeah. to photographing
1: yeah. blood on a black road, please share it with me. I and mean, the CSIs it's... that listen to the show.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I tried I oblique lighting. Yeah. So I was going to say oblique lighting, a flash, like with a bounce flash, like a bounce card. Yeah. Honestly, if I was in that situation, I would have maybe tried and waited for it to be like dark and broke out like an IR camera. I don't know if you have something like that. We didn't have
1: one at the time. It was not. It was in very new. It was only the Fuji at the time. And there was only like only Heidi Nichols and like one other person did it.
2: I was going to say, yeah, you had to be like yeah, yeah, OG. like the UVIR, yeah. like goddess, you yeah. to have one. Yeah, that probably would have been like the best bet. Or I guess if you couldn't photograph it in situ, like you could have waited for it to be dark and hit it with Blue Star. It was not talk about a pain in the ass too. That would have sucked.
1: It was yeah. a homicide, so I would have done it. I ended up literally. I don't. I wish I could pull the memory. Eventually, it became night, and the way I was able to do it was. Reflecting it, like you're it didn't look like blood. It just looked like wet. Yeah. Yeah. But I was at least able to capture it with scale Mm -hmm. that it existed. I mean, I swabbed also, you know, like where you drop the cones and then swab the area. So I had swabs to prove that it existed. But I knew that some defense attorney was going to be like, "You pretended there was blood there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's That's actually oil." So that's exactly what I was going to say. Was we had a there, there was a case that you know where the. Person kind of did the same thing. You know, you get stabbed. It wasn't in the heart. They just got stabbed. And they were running from the sidewalk into the street. And law enforcement was like, all right, this is our pattern. And no, 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 that's actually, that's oil. And if you look, there's no way that it could have gone from there to there. So it was like following this, this yes. trail. And it was a little crazy. But yeah, differentiating the two. And then you're right. It's, you know, oh. what do you do? You just see it's it's high gloss. Is the it hip. oil? Is it?
2: Yeah. Anything yeah. else? Yeah. So a fun fact too is the longest drip trail in history. Ooh. The world record is, do you want to guess? A mile?
0: No. Damn. Longer. No, just what is it? It's a mile and a half.
2: I was
1: not that far. Yep. That wasn't and,
2: bad. I was gonna say yeah, two. So, in, split the baby. Yeah, in Appleton, Wisconsin. So that is a random fun fact that so I. So like that tell people.
1: I will take blood spatter on forensics Jeopardy for two thousand. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good.
0: Wow, wow that's that awesome. Is, yeah, oh, Dr. Uh, Severs, you have been an absolute gem. I've I'm I've really appreciated this I episode. I love it's it. So I love talking fun. about blood spatter.
1: Yeah, this has been fun. And Shelly, a fun fact. Did you know that she's actually our coworker? Because I got... Yes, a-
0: I do know yeah. that. So yes. you don't know
1: this, but you're our co-worker. maybe you do Tri-tech, know. Tri-Tech, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Shout out Tri-Tech.
1: Shout out Tri-Tech.
2: <laughs> That's so funny. Because,
1: you know, I do the social media for them.
2: I did not know that until recently, but I know that. So no. I do
1: the social media. So I was going through to like look at my posts. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, because I like look at who's upcoming Uh I literally saw it yesterday that you have a class on the books for us. And I was like, how serendipitous.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It went like zero to a hundred. You know, like I was talking to Phil and he was like, oh my gosh, like I'm always looking for people like send me your stuff. I'm like, okay. I would say within the matter of a month, I think I have seven bloodstain classes booked for like this year. I'm like, uh, that was quick.
1: (laughs) When it rains, it pours with Phil. Yeah. Oh Yeah.
2: I love Bill, and the best is he'll randomly be like, oh, hey, this agency in California was interested. I'm like, oh, cool, just let me know. And he has a list of my availability. And the next thing I know on the website, I see Fontana, California with Heidi Sievers. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll put that in my
0: calendar. Oh, that's awesome. Whenever that, I'm going to have to take a look, and maybe I'll head up north a little bit. Yeah,
1: you'll be close. Right? I, again, just want to mirror Shelly's sentiment. It has been awesome having you on like awesome. Thanks.
2: Yeah. It's been so much fun.
1: Thank you so much for like coming on. Will you tell our audience where they can find you? Cause now they know they can look you up and take a class with you for tri-tech forensics. Cause you blew up yeah. all over that schedule. Uh,
2: yeah. So LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search Heidi Severs. I should pop up Severs forensics as well. We have a page on LinkedIn, Instagram, pretty, I'm pretty active on Instagram, the bloodstained doc. You can find me. And then TikTok, not as much, but Forensic Barbie, you can find me on there. Every once in a while when I'm bored, I'll throw a video up. But yeah, pretty much LinkedIn and Instagram are going to be the two main ways. SeaverseForensics.com, if anyone is interested in trainings, usually I'll mirror like the ones for TriTech and the ones independently that we do are all going to be on there.
1: I wrote that you were coming on and somebody wrote, oh, I love her webinars. Aw, <laughs> yeah, so we do webinars have fans.
2: once a month, yeah.
1: That being said, you can also find your Crime Scene Queens uh, on TikTok and Instagram, where we are the most active, though we do have Facebook as well. All of it's at Crime Scene Queens. You can email Shelly and I at hello at crime scene And as usual, if you guys are going to go out there and you're going to commit a crime, please prick your finger, catch your arm. <laughs>
2: Hop-a-loogie you know. <laughs> Clear your needle Clear your needles yeah, Clear your needles Clear yes. your needles
1: Everywhere for us So that you can do Your local CSI a favor Keep And it help us out Keep it leave interesting Leave a void
2: Leave a void Or some satellite
0: Make somebody Leave a happy. void
1: If you're gonna hit Like multiple different victims Please leave us
0: some voids So we yes. know in which order You did it There you go <laughs> Exactly Sounds great Hot top for now y'all Crime Scene Queens is a Q Code Media production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Will Tendy. Theme song and music by Darren Johnson.